Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Service Monster Podcast. My name is Joe Kowalski, and I am your host today. I have Adam and Michael with me as usual. We're going to chat about uh, some of the newer features that have been put into Service Monster. We've got a couple great smug posts we're going to go deep on, and uh, an entree Joe that I think you guys might want to stick around for. But before we do all, all of that, Adam, what are we talking about today? Yeah, so kind of something that we we touch on from time to time um, is you know the the whole idea of scaling your business and and kind of what that entails and kind of the steps you guys need to be striving towards um, to kind of make that your end goal. And with everything that's been going on with with COVID, I've seen a lot of um, posts and comments throughout the you know, the service industry kind of communities talking about the hiring process and kind of what they've had to deal with, um, finding applicants, going through the interview process. And I've, I've seen a lot of questions that are just kind of centered around that. How do I go through the hiring process? How do I find quality employees? You know, how do I handle the training? I feel like I'm, I'm spinning the wheels and so forth. So kind of just touching on employees, training, hiring, and, you know, culture and what that means. Um, so I think that kind of to get us started, Joe, we can kind of look at the, you know, the interview process, because we've actually just recently gone through this. We changed some things on our end to, to go through that. So kind of with the, the environment being the way that it is and things are not going to be the same. You know, I hate that term new normal, um, but it is, you know, a thing in certain circumstances. So. What are some things that, you know, our listeners can kind of do with some advice that they can have to find the applicants that are worthwhile to them and that are also going to, you know, stick with the company and, and, and be a bonus to their business? Um, yeah. So if you go top down, the first thing you got to recognize is change. Um, you've got to be adaptable. You've got to realize and be real about the environment that you're in regardless of what your personal opinion is about it. We've done many talks around that. But even until you start looking to build your business in this environment, you've got to get right with the general community's perception of the environment that we're in. If you're going against the grain there, then it's going to be an uphill battle. Um, it, it's going to be much tougher. Now, we're seeing some interesting um, data points coming out of this. Obviously, the, the quarterly jobs report or the gross domestic product uh, report just came out and it is down sharply uh, than any other time in history since we've been tracking it. Um, it's, it's not good. Uh, we have tens of millions of Americans out of work. Um, there's some talk on whether the boomers will be invited back to the same scale that they were participating before, because there's so much need for the millennials and uh, how the room wasn't really fully made for them. That's why they're hanging out in mom's basement. I mean, in addition to um, some some mindset issues individuals have, I'd say by and large, it's just the population and workflow and force combined with the Gen X lull made for a really difficult environment. And this is shaking it all up for your white collar jobs, which most of you guys aren't going to worry too much about. You may have some office workers. Um, those right now you can capitalize on um, 
the existence of a large number of those people in the job pool. And so you can find some really great people who want to work for maybe a small company and, and utilize their skills and help out. And they may not be asking for a huge salary like you'd think. Um, so there's there's ways to work there. But if you're already established and you're looking to get some office people, that could be a, um, a win. But that's a small slice. If you're a business owner who had the dreams of growing a large business and somehow getting off the truck and then getting out of the office and then growing it or even flipping it, selling it, whatever, um, you can still do that. There's like, there's no, I wouldn't be freaked out by that as long as you stay adaptable, as long as you're able to duck and move and, and um, make the changes you need to. Okay. So all that being said, how do you find employees in this environment who are willing to go into Mrs. Jones homes and push the wand for 12, 14, 15 bucks an hour? Um, First of all, make sure you're you're paying them a decent amount. You know, um, do the math on how much a buck an hour costs you on an existing employee, and then compare that with how much uh, value it brings them. And then, of course, um, the the numbers notwithstanding, you guys still have to make a profit in your business. Uh, but I'm always surprised by what people expect out of people when they pay them minimum wage. Uh, you're gonna get minimum effort. That's all there's to it. Uh, so, so that's one is making sure that your pricing is dialed in, um, that you're not hiring resumes and people are still doing this. And I am, I mean, I'm not dumbfounded in the corporate America because I know how slow those guys move, but I'm dumbfounded that the larger community of small business owners has not yet figured out, uh, that you, you're not operating off your grandfather's employee handbook anymore. So bringing in character traits is more important than a resume. It's more important than the skill set they bring to the table. Um, I had a great interview yesterday. Uh, so this, this kid was sharp. Um, look, you know, everything looked good and uh, you know, didn't have a lot of experience, though. And he was just straight up deadpan and said, yeah, I learned how to use Google. Yeah, you could Google stuff. It means that you don't have to know the job or the skill set right then. You can figure it out. Adaptability is what the next generation is super good at. Boomers sucked at it. Generation X was a hybrid. We either adapted it and got good at it and got obsessed with it, or we didn't and don't like change. And so um, it's, it's a different environment. You're looking to hire different kinds of people. I, I wouldn't necessarily be stuck with, do they have previous cleaning experience? Um, you know, have they worked other menial jobs? Have they, um, you know, done a lawnmower service? Like if they want a shot and you're paying a decent wage and the character of the individual is going to go and build, help you build a team, then, uh, then that individual is going to be worth hiring. So the difference between now and then is you could be a little bit more strict, you know, and back when I was doing corporate hiring, if you didn't bring a pen to an interview, that was a major knock against you. Like in my book, unprepared, like it doesn't take any effort to show up looking nice and have a, your, a copy of your resume and your pen and, uh, you know, some questions for the employer and some research, like that doesn't take a lot of effort. And it always drives me crazy 
when they don't check those boxes, but I had to give that up. I was creating too many gates and I was letting people who were good people who could have helped me build my business, I let them go because they didn't check off some sort of a box, as opposed to bringing in the person who checked in the box, but didn't necessarily have the character traits we needed to build the business. Um, so that's the first thing is like, loosen up on your general requirements. Don't let some coach talk you into some set of gate systems that'll help you filter people out. Putting a job out, accepting 60 resumes, throwing 30 away, making 10 phone calls, getting four conversations for two interviews that only one person shows up to is the way the game is played. That's just a fact. Of, you can complain about it all you want, but you're not going to change it. And you can certainly put things in place to make that 60 to 10, um, uh, that qualification process more automated. You know how I automate it? I make some other person do it because I don't want to run the risk of them canceling themselves out and they could have been great for our company. So, uh, you know, I'll leave it at that, that, that your hiring process should loosen up. You should hire for character and not for boxes, resumes, or skill sets. All right. The other thing that I probably want to point out is if you're new and you're just starting out and you're ready to build that team, man, those first four or five hires, they are so critical to your business. Because you get it wrong, you got to start over again. But it's not just finding a body for the job. They're going to have to wear a bunch of hats. They're going to have to... Um, learn a whole bunch of stuff. They're going to have to adapt. You're going to change the way you do things often. And they're going to have to be able to roll with that and not get upset when you're changing things around. All of these are part of the culture that you want to build with those first four or five employees because they're teammates on your journey as you're building your business. You can't do it alone. It's impossible. Not only do you not have the hours, you don't have the perspective. There is no way a single individual, no matter how many people he talks to, no matter how many interviews they do, no matter how many uh, fellow peers or coaches they talk to, never has enough perspective. If you get smart people in your business that can help you grow it, that's how you actually scale. There is no other way. You will listen to business owner after business owner running multi-billion dollar businesses that say teams make the business, not the leader. So it's the cumulative growth effort. So take those first hires really seriously and see if you can get those first three or four people to really help you move the ball forward. Um, and you'll learn so much from that process, going through that process. Now, finding them sucks because it doesn't usually happen in your first round of interviews. Everybody's impatient. They want to fill that position as quickly as possible. This is why I say hire slow. Don't hire fast just because you need the body, because you have the work to do, because you're going to end up losing sleep over wanting to fire them in six months and then not firing them. They're going to create some issues in your business before you finally end up firing them or they leave on their own. Um, so you, you've got to dial this in. Uh, and this takes a lot of effort. And this is essentially what it means to be a business owner growing a business. There is no other game. Yeah, sales plays a role. Yeah, margins. Yeah, accounting. Yeah, you, your process, your SOPs, your product that you sell, your brand building, social media, digital marketing. They all matter. And you can't build a business without them. But you can't build a big business without people. And that has to come first.
So in this post-COVID world, consider changing your strategy. Consider looking at different ways to bring people in and what they mean to the business. And when you do, make sure, again, in this environment, if you find someone you like, man, it sucks to lose them because you weren't prepared, because you couldn't train them, because you didn't have the SOPs in place, or because you didn't know how to teach, or because you weren't patient, or because you know, um, every time they said, hey, boss, what do I do now? You're like, oh, more bothered than helpful. And so um, make sure you're working on building systems within your business for your culture that promote your culture and help the people, the rock stars that you pull into the company, do your best. I, I, I've got to do this on Monday. I'm going to take the vast majority of my day for a new QA role that, that we've hired. This person works super excited, uh, rock star. And right now, I'm going to have to be the one who helps them onboard. And then I'll lean on Amy, who will get them training. And then we'll lean on Adam, who controls the product pipeline. And slowly but surely, they'll start to understand the culture that we have and then be able to work on their own. Again, my business is different. I get it. Uh, this is more the office environment. That's why we can virtualize so easy. But the lesson is still the same. Make sure you're taking the time to train your people and create systems that train and keep good people. Otherwise, all this effort going through everything to set it up, your culture won't be built because you can't keep the good people around long enough because they get bored. Um, obviously, I could do this all day, right? I can go on probably for an hour talking about employees and I've written speeches on it and I didn't even go into hiring Captain America before he gets all juiced up. But that's a thing too, like finding young rock stars and, and leveraging their passions. So, but in a pre-COVID environment, it's now more important than ever to be careful, hire slow, have systems in place, try to keep them and get those ground level employees so that uh, they can really help you build. Otherwise, you're not building, you're just gonna be spinning your rolls. Yeah, as far as the um, training side goes, I always find this kind of interesting. There are probably a lot of you um, kind of listening out there who are really good at, at what you do. Maybe you're uh, on, on the sales side, maybe you have you know great kind of customer service skills, great customer uh, rapport. Some of you guys might have just advanced technical knowledge, which, um, you know, you've spent decades learning how to, you know, handle this one specific issue on this weird kind of, you know, rug or, or so forth. I mean, there, there's a lot of kind of advanced technical things there. You don't necessarily need to expect that guy rolling off the truck to know how to do that. And you don't necessarily always have to be the one who, you know, goes through that 100% on your own. There are all of these other avenues that exist now, whether it's, you know, the certification trainings that exist in, in the various kind of uh, industries, coaches, things that you can also pick up to learn teaching techniques, because it's not just learning, you know, the skill itself. It's how to convey that to another person so that they actually instill the knowledge. And I thought it'd be kind of interesting to talk to you about that, Joe, since you guys kind of handle education um, with your children, kind of how to kind of use that uh, some skills and tendencies that you can kind of pick up to help pass on the knowledge. Well, I have an unfair advantage there because I uh, feel I have a heart of a teacher. Um, I love teaching. I, my favorite thing is to bring 
together like ridiculously smart people and then do a whiteboard conversation for an hour and watch all their eyes bleed one by one. Like, like legit, that's something that fills me with joy. Um, them both getting it and me just blowing their minds away. Right. So, um, and then, you know, you get that a lot when you have little kids. <laughs> uh, so how do you transfer that into the employee side? That's hard. I think that Amy's better at formalizing that stuff better than I am. Um, but I'll, you know, and, and again, post COVID, I can't do this anymore. Pull someone into a whiteboard and talk a little bit about service monster history and then draw some maps about the battlefield and like where we're positioned and, you know, what's happened over time and um, give them that perspective easily. I'm still learning that skill. But if you're face to face, it's a lot easier. Obviously, if you're there, you can show them. Uh, Mikey from Mikey Sports got some great, you know, um, ways to, to show people how to do things and then have them do things. Um, you can also leverage and utilize things, simple things like Google Docs, like which is available from your phone. And you can throw documents up on how to do things. So, you know, hey, look, if you don't know how to clean the stairs with this tool, then here's there's Google Docs on there. You can peruse those and then kind of figure it out on your own. And then you can say, if it's not there, let me know. If it is there, try to use that. If you can't use that, let me know why you couldn't use it. Um, like get feedback from them so you can better your documentation and or fill in the missing gaps. But ideally, what you want to be able to do is create a situation where you have autonomous employees that are protecting the brand. And the only way you can do that is if you ensure the level of quality that you have built up. And the only way you can do that is provide accountability. And the only way you can provide real accountability is not by yelling at them about how they got it wrong. It's showing them how to do it right. It's documenting how to do that right. It's providing the best path so that they know how to get the knowledge to do it right. And then if they're still not playing after all that, you find you have some rock stars that do play well, get rid of those guys and bring some new people in. That's the part of the fire fast equation, right? Um, it's not taking a rock star that's been with you for four years and them screwing up and then you firing them just because you don't want to deal with it. It's uh, it's more like that new hire is 90 days in. You know the process of interviewing again is going to suck, but you keep them just because it's easier. Like That's not how you want to build your business. Fire that person. Get another round in. So you got to be careful with that. If you get the right people, training them is easy. If you get the wrong people, training them is impossible. Like there's that old saying, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. Um, you want to hire people who are teachable. That's one thing in the interview I look for, like signs of, are you teachable or not teachable? Because we hire smart people. And the, the, the problem with smart people growing up around people who aren't necessarily as smart, if you're the smartest person in the room often, there's that saying, you're in the wrong room. There's a reason for that is because you start to think you're right about everything and then you become unteachable because the people you've surrounded yourself with don't have any knowledge or value for you. And so why would you even listen to them? Uh, so that kind of deadens your skills to listen and pick things up from other smart people or experienced people or, you know, just other people like perspective is a, is a big thing that those guys take them too long to get that perspective's a thing. Um, so you got to be watching for that kind of stuff too. So be, be a teachable person, but at the same time, have the heart of a teacher and hire people who are teachable. There you go. Then you can teach them. You know, 
I was going to kind of bring this up uh, before I shifted a little bit there, but uh, I actually think it's interesting kind of how you, a big part of why you brought me in um, initially to interview was, you'd, uh, was you love the fact that I was tracking um, my deliveries. We talked about that. We joked about that about a couple of podcasts. I, I delivered pizzas when I was going to college. So, um, and I, I was tracking things like that, but you kind of straight away, um, what's kind of the question that you ask to get these, these applicants talking to really extract some of these tendencies out so you can see um, in that, you know, half an hour or 45 minutes or hour long interview, you actually see some of these skills that pop up that aren't just, you know, generated, you know, questions. Um, I'll do this backwards because I think it's important because the mission comes first. Silence. Let them talk. Now you got to set up a set up a scenario where they can start talking and then keep talking. And so what I do um, is ask them to tell me, like if Adam, you, you in your interview, I probably said something in the effect of, you know, I'm really interested in the story of Adam. What are you all about? I mean, yeah, I care about your job history, but whatever you'd like to share from high school on your journey, your life experiences, your, your you know, driving motives, tell me about Adam. And then I shut the hell up for at least 20 minutes. And, um, and if they're shy, I will poke and prod. Of course, you got to be careful not to ask any kind of inappropriate or illegal questions. So you got to be versed in that very well. But you can prod people. Tell me more about that. Or what do you mean by that? Or, you know, rehash a, um, a conversation, right? There's a, um, I can't remember the name of the term. It's a negotiating tactic where you, you know, you just parrot the last few words that someone says. And it will instantly create, I mean, it's, it's like magic. It will instantly create a reaction where they just keep, yeah, well, yeah. And then they keep going, right? So, because they, it, they hear that you're listening and interested and then it, it prompts them to talk more. And it is ridiculously amazing and frightening how much people will reveal about themselves in the absence of uh, anybody else filling the air with sound. So if you're talking about your business and how great the position is and you're trying to sell them, which you should do a little bit for sure, right? There's a sales game going back and forth. You're trying to hire somebody awesome. You should be coercing them a little bit. Um, but at the same time, you letting people talk, man, that is, it, it's amazing. And then they, they might give you a little thread and they'll move on. Go back to that thread and pull on it. Um, a, a perfect example. Um, inter interview before last, um, we were interviewing this lady and, uh, she said something that bothered me a little bit about our previous employer. It was just this little thread that was like, oh no. And often what happens is that, um, you'll pull on that thread and they'll be like, well, yeah, they didn't appreciate me. My manager was mean and everybody was out to get me. And then, and then you're like, okay, <laughs> bullet dodged. Now, this individual was different. And let me give you another tactic that I like to use at the end um, because I do like to see how people deal when they're, when they're uncomfortable. And so if you come straight at somebody um, and call them on something or set up a thing where it's like, I'm not calling you on this, but I need you to clarify this. 
get their heart rate up a little bit and get them freaked out. Again, it's a good way to determine how they're going to handle stress, especially in a job environment. So here's what I say near the end of the interview. Okay, Adam. Now, when you leave, me and the other people here in the interview table, yeah, we're going to talk crap about you for like an hour. We're going we're gonna to talk about what we thought was good and what we thought was bad. And then we're going to make stuff up. We're going to make up what we think you would be like in that position or with uh, objecting to those problems. So what I'd like to do is bring up a couple of those objections right here in front of you and let you address them. Uh, and that always is like, oh. And then in this case, I hit the individual really hard. I said, you know, you, you said something about your previous employer. I would like you to expand on that story for a little bit, like prompted you to leave. And, uh, and so she knew she was in a situation where she had to answer the question because if she didn't, we were going to make up stuff about it. And so they're forced under stress, to be honest. Now, in this situation, nine times out of 10, you'd get the, I'd get, I would get the response that I would expect. They were mean to me. It was their fault, not my fault. Uh, they were a bunch of bastards. Um, you know, and occasionally, I guess there's a certain outlier percentage of the time where that's 100% true and the employee was not responsible at all. Sure. I just never witnessed it. But this individual handled it beautifully because she said they weren't paying her. What? Well, they're paying, but she was on contract and they're paying, but they're not paying enough and not what they agreed. And they know that they're behind on their payments, but, you know, it's it just been hard. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. So how long has this been going on? Three years. So now I'm like, okay, not only now am I not going to talk shit about you when you leave over the fact that I thought you might be complaining about your employer, but I'm going to be like, how loyal was she to stick with the company for three years while they were sorting out payment issues that never got resolved? They still owe her back money. So I'm like, yeah, that company's jerk face. She should have left a long time ago and good on her for sticking it out. But then, it, then there's another red flag. She doesn't stand up for herself. And in this environment, you will get eaten alive if you don't stand up for yourself at Service Monster. So um, kind of was the thing that helped move her off, to the, off of the playing field anyway, was her answer to that question, but not for the reason that I would have presupposed had we not talked to her about it. Yeah, these are the kind of things that you're probably not going to get right, right out of the gates. Um, interviewing is something that I remember my first interview from the other side of the table. I mean, I'd definitely been an applicant before, right? It's always nerve wracking. Heck, even when I worked at Arby's for six months when I was a junior oh, in high school. Arby's, I mean, God, every four years I go get a sandwich from them and I remind myself by why I throw it in the trash. Okay, well, we're same. I'm we're with Arby's. You no, 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 right? Beef and cheddars are delicious. I don't know what all the Arby's hate in this country is all about, but uh, my wife loves Arby's, Arby's too. I don't know why. Oh, she on purpose? <laughs> <sighs> wow. I'm sorry, okay. Michael. I I don't know. That might be a deal killer, bro. It's it's not it. Well, I shouldn't say she loves it. It's like it's like a childhood memory thing, you know. So oh, it's like, sure. like a sentimental thing. Yeah. But, 
Her parents love good. crappy food. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not good. I do not like Arby's. I'm with you there. I'm with you there. <laughs> All right. Anyways, sorry. Uh, I just don't like um, it that much. That much. Yeah. <laughs> Any listeners want to talk about how great beef and cheddars are, feel free to chime in, um, in, in, in the comments there. But, uh, you know, that job essentially, when that when that job gets posted, they're just trying to find someone who's not going to call in every day, right? They're not they're not looking for anything too specific. I was making a whopping like $5 an hour driving 30 minutes just to make sure that I could pay for my car. Um, anyways, the point I was going to make was that uh, even that interview was, was nerve wracking because that was my first, right? And so it's going to be the same way the other side of the table. Uh, you're not going to necessarily have all the answers. You should definitely do research. I mean, there's tons of information out there on questions you can ask and just places you can watch for free people who are excellent at this and kind of just see and watch kind of what they do what they ask just exactly what joe is talking about here there are very easy ways to get people to open up and i always kind of suggest that um, when you're talking to someone whether it's you know just a regular relationship or for something that's uh, you know work related the best way to get them to be honest, in my personal opinion, is to actually care about the answer. Like, I don't, I don't mean like, you know, yeah, we need a position. I want this, this hired. But when you, when you go in to sit at that table, that you actually genuinely care about the words that are coming out of their mouth. When you ask them a question, do you care about their life story or do you not care about their life story? And I found that when you actually do in those moments, you're going to get them to be much more honest. And um, there is a very, you know, clear line between your personal life and, and work. And I think most people understand that. And the point I'm making is just that when you get them to be honest, you're going to see who they are, who, what their character is, um, kind of what their aspirations can be. And you can really, you know, you're not manipulating that for your own, for your own benefit. It's like a, like, uh, a rising tide brings all ships or raises all ships, right? It's that whole idea of you want your business to succeed. They're a part of that. They're not something that you're forced, you know, to go through. Um, and that's what, you know, that, that culture is going to stem from is because you really want them to be part of your team and they're going to see that and kind of give you your all. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to remember as a business owner, we hold a special privileged place. Um, which comes with an immense and ridiculous amount of weight and responsibility and so forth. But you're asking people to choose the most favorable form of authoritarianism they can find, right? Our government is not authoritarian. Masks notwithstanding, whatever your argument is on that, wear the damn mask. But your work cultures are authoritarian. I mean, there's no question that there's a bit of, uh, both a what I like to call the reverse pyramid. Like I draw the the I like to draw the um, organization chart upside down. I'm the one in the dirt, right? And all the people out catching all the sun, they're they're the ones doing all the real work, and that's true. But when shit gets real, that that organizational chart flips upside down real fast, and not because they they uh, not because I want it to. It's because everyone else wants it to, because. The number two person walks into the number one person office when shit gets real and goes, what are we going to do? Um, and that that's, and, and we have that. So we're asking them to choose 
the least or the most favorable authoritarian place that they want to work to get their cash so that they can live whatever lifestyle they want to live. So we want to create a nice authoritarian regime that helps the greater good, the economy and the ecosystem of the business itself um, as an entity. So just realize that's what you're asking out of people and then dress accordingly. Yeah. And in a lot of instances, it'll actually save you time, energy, stress, money, and so on in the long run too, because if, if you've taken the time to set that up, you're going to have lower turnover, right? Cause they're yeah. going to want to be a part of that and turnover sucks. I mean, it's, it's not a fun thing to kind of, deal with. I know that a lot of you guys already have to deal with that because it's a seasonal business in some instances. So um, just kind of one last thing to touch on before we move on to uh, the service monster kind of news and segment. Um, You talked about the generational divide and and adaptability um, and about this rehiring process could potentially skip and force some of the boomers out of that. Um, you want to just maybe touch on that a little bit, that kind of expand on that before? Yeah, there's off. a couple articles floating around about that. That's, you know, some early indicators, right? Because um, now I guess we're going to go a little bit off the path for, and talk about the global, more global situation. So um, companies found COVID convenient. In a lot of ways, um, service monsters, you know, guilty of that in some way too. It's it gave us the ability to right the ship in certain areas undercover, right? Sometimes doing the right thing has political cost to it, and you and the employees might not fully understand the decisions that need to be made all the time. And then in a vacuum, we'll come to their own conclusions. And that's how rumors and discontent kind of get started. Well, with COVID, it gave us an economic driver to right the ship and not have the political fallout because everybody understood. Like if the ship isn't righted, my job could be in jeopardy. Like I get it. Or if the ship isn't righted, the whole company could be in jeopardy. Um, And so that happened nationally with businesses across the board at all levels. And that's why there's 25 million, 30 million, whatever the number is right now, I haven't been keeping up on it, but you know, tens of millions of Americans out of a job. Now, on the flip side now, we're saying, okay, well, the economy numbers are bad and leisure-like activities are not great, um, but everything else seems to be not only doing okay, but recovering. Uh, which if you want to, we could tie into our jobs report for the cleaning industry, right? It was only down 9% year over year last month, where at, at its worst was like 38% or percent or something like that, Michael. What was that number? When jobs or revenue, which one? Um, jobs. I mean, for, shoot, shoot, shoot. for jobs, it was actually only down yeah. 7% um, in yeah, June. That's good. It was, it was 22, 46, and 31 down. So the lowest was... Um, April was a 46% drop um, decrease in total number of jobs. Yeah. So pretty, yeah. pretty hefty. That's, that's, that's a lot, obviously. It is, it is. And, and um, that recovery is great. Although I don't know if it's artificial or not. That's the thing is like, I've lost my ability to tell the future. I don't have a stable state 
right? So I can I can manage a shitload of variables in my head at one time and then kind of navigate probabilities fairly well. But that assumes I'm existing inside of a stable state. And, you know, like the government is stable and people are buying stuff and yesterday's business is similar to today's business. Um, and so I, I, I'm just not even attempting to make predictions. Like what, what will December look like? I have no idea. None. Um, but it seems to be right now, things are not only on the mend, but they're doing well. Service monsters are doing great. Um, we're, we're putting new people in place and, and we've restructured the business quite a bit. Um, I don't think we'll ever be at the employment capacity that we were at previously. Um, when you compare it against total revenue, we were way off kilter there from an economic standpoint. You, you typically want to shoot for somewhere around 100,000 per employee and you don't want to really go too much above that. We were super aggressive the other way. We were giving up all of our dividends and all of our profits just to bring in new people so we could you know, build this culture. Um, so we righted the ship there. Everyone righted the ship there. And now what we're doing, the larger commu business community itself, it's like, well, we've got some holes now because we virtualized everything. So business has completely changed. The face of business has completely changed. The skill sets we might need in some of these positions has changed so much that, yeah, we let a bunch of people go, but now we're going to have to rehire some people under this new kind of virtualized um, thought process environment. And who are you going to go to for that? Are you going to go back to the 55 or 60-year-old boomer who found it hard to change new software to begin with? And now you're changing seven things and the total environment? And so what ends up happening is you bring in the young guys because guess what? They have Google and they can adapt and they can learn the new tech and they're going to have to be trained. Everyone's going to have to get retrained anyway. So you might as well retrain the people who are you're going to be putting in training for now into the long-term future. Obviously, business operates in a, in a vacuum a bit. So it's heartless about it. It doesn't care that it's likely that the boomers unemployment rate comparatively is going to skyrocket. And that eventually the millennial unemployment rate will get to something normal. Um, I, I, uh, I can see that as a probability. So that, that's an issue. Now, those guys are not going to want to push wands or freaking clean houses, right? So they're not going to be wanting to, uh, to take up service provider jobs. And we're always going to have a need for service professionals. We're always going to have a need for carpet cleaning, pressure washing, house cleaning, HVAC, plumbing, electrical, um, you know, and, and yeah, some of that might move more strictly to affluent communities and not as much with the middle class. Um, so that could create huge potential issues too. The whole thing is just up in arms. The point that I was making early on is be adaptable and have something in place where you can keep good people as long as possible. That's the way you build your culture. You can't skimp on either. You can't like suck at sales and then train crappy people and, and then keep them around. And you can't get good people, only have them show up and not really have a system in place to keep them. And then they get bored and leave. Um, because when you bring in good people who care, they care and they, and they want you to care. They care. And if you don't, then they'll go care somewhere else. So there it is. All right. All right. There we go. There we go. 
So moving on into the service monster news segment, um, mobile 1.3.1 will be out. Um, I should say, barring something catastrophic um, in this final QA, it'll be out when this podcast is released. So we're looking at next week when that actually gets kind of pushed out to the app stores. Um, we've already talked about what's in that release. Again, there's multi-route view, which is exciting. Um, I'm just kind of glossing over that because we've been talking about that the last couple of podcasts. And so I'm assuming you guys have picked up on that if you're longtime listeners, which I hope all of you are. Um, and there are tons of just little UI UX improvements and uh, there's some other kind of big things coming on the way too. So we're excited about that. Um, 652 is coming along nicely. Well, we don't have a set release date yet, but uh, next week or two uh, is kind of when we'll be looking at that. So we've got account tags, which is going to be a much easier system for you guys to just quickly tag an account, which you can use for marketing follow-ups and things like that. Um, there's a brand new account overview page. It's now the, the default account page. So rather than going to the page where it has all the, you know, the contact details and terms and things like that, which are important, but generally once you set them up, you know, they're just kind of there for maintenance, right? So we're giving you kind of a dedicated page. It's going to show you, you know, your open orders, pretty much any open activity at all. It's your orders. action page for the account. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so... I've gotten positive feedback from those who have shown, and I'm really excited to get that out to you guys. Um, and then we also have some improvements on the self-import side that are coming. So um, that's kind of the big thing on my end. Michael, do you kind of want to segue into the uh, report? Yeah, I'll just briefly go over it. We um, already brought it up, and I think um, seeing this report, which overall does show some positive growth in the cleaning industry, is why we're kind of touching on this, this scaling and this rehiring process, because I know... Um, in Facebook groups, we've seen um, so many. I've I've seen in Adam, and I've talked about this. We've seen a ton of uh, companies who, you know, when when this whole COVID situation started, they're having to lay off people. They weren't sure what's going on, but we've seen a ton of talk around rehiring now, around um, kind of kind of kind of taking business uh, to the next level again. It kind of was this holding pattern for a while, where so many businesses were just unsure. And like you said, Joe, we'll see we'll see you know what the future is like. We don't know, um, but because of that. Um, because of this increase and uh, things are looking better, it's uh, it's it's encouraging. I would say um, it's exciting to see. Um, we'll we'll continue to be doing these reports so you can monitor it really easily. Um, for the month of June, uh, jobs um, were down only seven percent. So total number of jobs nationwide, comparing June 2019 to June 2020, was only down seven percent nationwide. Um, previously, March was down 22 percent. April was down 46 percent. And May was down 31%. So uh, only only being down 7% is a pretty um, sizable uh, improvement there. Uh, the revenue numbers are, are super similar um, with a 9% decrease in total revenue. So pretty much just in line there with the job numbers. Um, and the, the previous months, similarly, um, they were down quite a lot. And it's going back up. And we love seeing that. Um, I think the main thing was before... To the previous months, we had a few outlier states who were positive, but pretty much every state was negative. Whereas this time around, there's actually quite a number of states who have shown positive growth in both total number of jobs and uh, total revenue. Um, for uh, the total number of jobs, 16 states saw positive growth and 18 saw positive growth in the revenue category. So that's pretty incredible to see um, that many states actually showing 
not just less a smaller decrease, but actual increase above um, their numbers from June of 2019. So if you want to find out more, kind of like look at your state's numbers um, and just see how you compare, how your business compares to your state and to the national numbers, uh, we'll have the link to the blog post in the description below this. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, just go to our blog, servicemonster.net slash blog, and look for the Cleaning Industry Recovering New Report Shows Growth blog post. You'll see it right there. So yeah, uh, if you want to find out more, just go to that. That's all I got with the cleaning report. That's, you know, I'm pretty excited. I, it's um, highly likely based off its current trajectory that it's going to be green next month. That we'll see a national average increase from this time last year. Um, and so, it yeah, which is nice. And especially heading into the busiest year, busiest portion of the year, right? I mean, towards the end of the summer, before kids go back to school, whatever the hell that means in your local area, your experience may vary. Um, September is usually, you know, towards the end of that rush, which is why they do trade shows in September because you now have time and cash as opposed to doing them in like February where you have time, but no cash or any other time of the year where you have maybe cash, but no time. Um, so it'll be interesting to see rolling in to the school year, what effect this have, this has, if any. So, um, anyways, just, just really strange times we live in be adaptable. That's right. Exactly. Very cool. Um, moving on to entree Joe posts. Uh, this one actually had quite a few comments kind of chime in, which is the reason that, that we chose it. And, um, this one's actually short and sweet, so we can kind of get right into the analysis. But your ability to attract new clients is directly related to your average revenue. Entree, Joe. So what are we talking about there, Joe? Well, there's an arc, right? So if I were to put together a syllogism um, where I state my premise and then my arguments, um, it would go something like this. So... The more customers you have for the resources that you can provide, the more you can charge because of the demand of those resources. It's pretty basic economics based off the law of supply and demand. So that's first point. The law of supply and demand is known and is real. If you have more demand than you have ability to service it, then your service should command a higher price. Now, what people get flipped up on is thinking um, that this equation works in the real world. It works in the perfect world. Uh, in the physics world, we call those spherical cows. <laughs> right? So if I was a physicist and wanted to produce the maximum number of milk, I'd start with a spherical cow. Right. Okay, wait, that doesn't happen in reality. But it doesn't matter because we have to do a lot of our pre definitions and figuring stuff out in in essentially a vacuum and then we can start to add elements and variables back in and, and compensate for those discrepancies so yes demand does dictate supply but more than that resources dictate supply resources dictate prices 
the demand will artificially cause stress on the resources, which then drives the price up. But you don't have to wait for people to come to you to stress the resource. If you are good at sales and marketing, you will artificially stress the resource and thereby creating an environment where you can increase your average revenue. Here's a scenario, a use case that will make it really apparent, okay? Um, and I'm going to use this on purpose, knowing that it doesn't line with everybody, but it does work. The same principle applies. House cleaners. They, um, their repeat business is built in, uh, especially residential house cleaners that have regular recurring clients, and they have a schedule, and that schedule is full. And full to them means that they're working mostly the capacity of what they're able to do with the resources that they have. If they are a single cleaner and they want to work 40 hours a week, it means they have 30 hours of cleaning plus a little bookkeeping plus a little travel time. If they have three or four people that those people are working for the most part uh, um, in homes or travel time, 40 hours a week each, uh, and that you're finding other things for them to do if that's not the case. And, and that you're good and then your schedule is full. Once our schedule's full, the tendency is to stop marketing and to stop selling and to just clean and collect cash. There's a problem with that though. It's not growing. Not only is it not growing, but you're losing opportunities and valuable resource time when one or two or three clients calls and cancels. Not just one shot takes you off the schedule completely. And in maid services, it seems to happen in waves more often than not. You don't just lose one out of 10, you lose two out of 10. And then you're like, oh, 20% of my revenue is down. What am I going to do? If you are running a maid service company and you get good at sales and lead acquisition and cultivating clients and maintaining the attention of your demographic, you can establish a wait list. A waitlist is great because if someone fires you and then you don't have that on the schedule, you can go to the waitlist and call Mrs. Smith and say, I have an opening. Isn't that great? Would you like to take advantage of it? And if you've been doing a good job in promoting your value, they're just itching for the opportunity for you to come clean for them. And so then that creates an environment where if you have a waitlist, the stress is off you a little bit. You can fire crappy clients. Way too many maid service companies put up with bullshit clients. Inappropriate behavior from the guys, or um, they have Karen as constant clients, or, you know, it's just like a million different things that they put up with that is just bullshit that they don't need to be. Fire that customer and go to the wait list and say, hey, Jan, not Karen, I have an opening. Isn't that great? Um, hell, you could do that even before you fire the damn client, right? Because that way, if it takes you a week or two to fill the spot, well, at least you, yes, Karen, yes, Karen, yeah, you're out of here. Like, you're so fired. <laughs> as soon as I find someone to replace you, you're gone. So you can establish that trend, that train, that wait list that gives you freedom. Now, if you have the wait list, here's a fun game. I look at everybody in my schedule. I look at the value the cost, the ROI of that client, how much we're charging, how much we're making, what are the margins, what are the people that are working, what do they say about the environment, do they enjoy the environment, do they don't, don't, and you rank your customers. 
and then you can continually fire the bottom rung and replace them and hopefully put the next one you fire, replace the bottom rung with someone on the top rung. Now, if you're doing this, what happens? Then you build a client base and your schedule's full with high-end people, high-end clients that make your employees smile on your face and the customers are smiling and they're writing checks. That's the way to approach it. Now, that's what I mean when I say your ability to attract new clients is directly related to your average invoice. Now, what does that look like in a more transactional sense, right? You come in and maybe you clean for them once a year, uh, once every two years. Um, it essentially means that if you can attract more clients and you have the capability to clean for, then you should be raising your prices dramatically. Uh, and then get to a point where the people, enough people are saying no based off your price that allow you to fill your schedule on the ones that say yes. And that's an interesting balance to get in. But if you suck at sales and you suck at client acquisitions, then you're stuck. You don't have these options. You don't have a wait list. You have to work for the asshat. You've got to, um, you know, you're going to freak out and scramble when you lose that off the schedule. And uh, you're going to just be dog paddling if you have a more transactional business that you're cleaning every other year. You're not growing. Your, comp your growth is not compounding and you're stuck. So that's what I mean when I say, uh, you, the two are tied. Your ability to attract leads and your average invoices are closely coupled. Now, it's almost binary, unfortunately. Either you can attract that many clients, you're that good at marketing and sales that you, right, that you then can control your average invoice based off that horsepower, or you never reach that spot and you're just having to deal with all the junk. Right. You're never really charging by the room and it's a really small amount and you have to give away the house in order to get new. And attracting new leads isn't discounting, by the way. Like that's the wrong way to your rung goes like this when you do that. Uh, there's lots of studies done by that because customers get addicted to that value. And Walmart has made service companies commodity price based shopping, which is awful. Um, so that's what that means, Adam. Hope I cleared that up. <laughs> Absolutely. I went you know, from like 12 words to like a thousand. <laughs> you know, the really funny thing about that, I always love tying this into kind of other scenarios in life, but a really good example of this, and because I lived it during college, is the pizza, particularly the carryout and delivery world. Outside of the really, you know, nice pizza areas like the New Yorks and Chicago's of the world where the you know, pizza is actually like a dining experience. Those guys have been racing to the bottom with, with discounts for pizza, pizza. Years. They don't even like if, if you just ordered off the menu, a large pizza would cost you 20, $25 depending on what you got, or you get this coupon and you get it for $7. It's like, what is that? Like, that's not a, it, it, anyways, the, the point is they, they, they're driving that down. Obviously, it's a highly competitive market. There are a whole lot of things in flux with that, and they're trying to do the best they can with their marketing structure. But yeah, just figure out chime in because we were talking about that earlier. Absolutely. Moving on to Smug. Um, that's some great posts in the last couple of weeks. Um, first of all, we'll just kind of start with actually a, a, a few of these kind of uh, go into feature sets inside Surface Monster, things maybe you guys aren't aware of that we want to make sure to kind of shine a light on that. So the first one's from Alan. Um, 
in the homepage version 1.1, we have a couple of different homepages now, right? In the 1.1 version, there was a quick link to the all work orders. So every single work order that you've ever had, regardless of its of its status. Um, he was kind of asking, is there a way to to get to that? And he was asking about the ready to invoice uh, link as well. And so he ended up solving the answer himself, but a, a couple of users chimed in. And I just wanted to make sure that everyone knows when you're on the order list, so you're, you're, you've gone to orders, you've gone to the order list itself, there's a dropdown. And this is true for every grid in, in the system. Now, some pages only have one view, but every grid in the system has this dropdown. And on the order page specifically, we, we went above and beyond kind of spacing things out. So you, all of your work orders are grouped together, your invoices, your estimates, and also just your general order categories. If they're past due, um, do they owe me money, things like that. So you can quickly jump just to every work order that's ever existed using that view. And you can do that for every other kind of order scenario that's in there as well. And, oh, go ahead, Joe. I was just going to say that, um, you know, that, that view, that filter view on the top left-hand corner of your grids, you look at them, use them. Um, we take care. The columns for each of those can be mapped differently. So if you have like a balanced due list, um, you can choose different columns that you want to see. And then if your all orders list can be a different set of columns that you can see, you can really dial that in to get your workflows down. And then the breadcrumbs work properly too, where you're, you're in the grid, you click on the item, you go to the item, you can make a change, hit save, then click on the breadcrumb and go back and keep your view and your filter and your sort um, all there. And it, it makes a great processing scheme. You know, you can create custom views too. So maybe one, here's a, here's a real good use case of a business process that um, we liked back in five, but we have this in six as well. You can go to your account list, maybe create a custom view, say a view without lead sources. Uh, and then you have a list of all your clients who don't have lead sources. You can maybe sort them by last service date and then one by one, click on them, go in the account, look for some information, look at notes, look at the history, set the lead source, hit save and go back. And that list will now have all of those same filters applied minus the account you just set the lead source for because it no longer matches the filter criteria for the list. Now we have a lot of this stuff by default. And I think this is where Alan got um, a little lost. I'm sure he knows that there are view filters on grids in the order section. Oh, the list is long and you got to scroll down to the bottom to get to the orders section because there's estimates and there's invoices um, and then there's work orders. So use the scroll button, <laughs> scroll bar, and um, you know, see what's in there because there's dozens of different views and how we can slice your orders to give you a good workflow of making payments, checking past balances, going after old debt, cleaning up old estimates, following up on current estimates, processing work orders, make sure nothing slipped through the cracks, doing reworks, follow-ups, cancel. I mean, there are so many ways that you could use these grids um, and, and build a really smooth circular process to get a large volume of work done that uh, I would encourage you when you're playing around and when you have awesome time and not on the phone, you can go click around and see what these different views are about. And if you're adventurous and you want to uh, exercise your brain a little bit, do some brain teasers, try to build a new view and plug in some of those filters and see what you can come up with.
and make some comments. Uh, talk about your favorite custom view. Like not only can we maybe get that in, but it might help other service monster users as well. So participate. We'd love to see you guys' comments. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the other thing I wanted to mention there too was the ready to invoice and kind of what that means. Um, I've gone through a couple different iterations of this. Uh, originally, it was pre-completed work order, and then it changed to open work orders when Service Monster 6 first launched. And we've now moved it to ready to invoice. And all of these are the exact same kind of filter. Basically, it means that a work order was created, an appointment was scheduled, and now that time has passed. And so the system is assuming one of two things most likely happened. Either you did the work, and it's telling you that it's probably time to complete that, you know, invoice it, make sure it's paid, make sure you've done all of your administrative work towards that. Um, or the appointment got canceled and you didn't remove it from the schedule. And so it's essentially this big kind of work list of just making sure that you've done your due diligence and all of that, you know, nothing slipped through the cracks, so to speak. So you get that cleaned up, doesn't the list doesn't grow too large, and you're up to date. So... That's probably my favorite. That's probably my favorite order list, just from a workflow point of view, because it really it should be narrowed down to those items that you just finished up. Um, you know, within the last week or so, if you're slow at closing out your work orders and converting them to invoices. The other thing, since we're on the topic, do that. A lot of you guys take too long to convert your work orders to invoices. The system will be smarter when you do it quicker. Um, especially if you're using fill my schedule, then you'll get picked up and those cards will go out sooner for those clients. So use mobile when you're done with the job, close it out and be done with it. And then you don't have to worry about it. So do it fast and service monster will be happier and give you better data. Absolutely. Um, this next one is from Heather. She was, um, talking about when a customer adds a tip. Um, and kind of how that gets uh, reported and so forth. And she didn't realize there's actually a tip button within the order. Um, it's just uh, creating a line item and making the money there. So yes, the the money itself changed hands. You know, the total was updated, but the report itself wasn't running on it because the report doesn't know this line item that she created. It's a custom line item. So if any of you guys are using tips at all um, just use that quick button there's there's super quick access it even gives you some pre-filled amounts and you can obviously enter in your own adds it to the to the order and bing bomb boom you're done yeah and, and you know encouraging your clients to provide tips too you can do that in a handful of little subtle ways mobile does it kind of nicely because <clears throat> when you if you hand them the phone for um for payment then one of the options on there is, do you want a tip? So it's like a little prompt, but it's the system doing it, not you or your cleaners uh, or your technicians. So, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Pretty good. And, um, and if you use tips properly and you apply them the right way, uh, then they'll show up as a line item as tip collected, um, but they'll account a little bit differently so that you don't uh, have to worry about that. And then you can kick those out to the employees or technicians as you see fit. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's similar to a commissions, right? You also have to do that follow-up where the money actually gets, you know, exchanged because if they're adding it to the credit card, you know, the the technician themselves doesn't just, you know, will that money into their hands. So 
Yeah, and they have you have to account for it too, right? So it's not like you're charging them an extra service. And I've seen some people do that because they don't pay attention to the tip button, which I think I'm going to move in the next version of the order screen to the line item section. Um, I don't know. We can talk about that, Adam. But um, it seems like that that button has been missed. But the, in mobile, it seems to work fairly well. So yes, tips are good. We handle them. They're a thing. Don't make service a service that is a tip because that'll get weird and not track right. The last thing before we call it a day here was uh, Kim brought up, she was asking about FMS and the campaign results. And this is not specifically tied to FMS, so we can kind of expand on that too. But uh, she was asking about responses and conversions, what they are and how do those numbers update? Yeah, so this is a bigger topic. We do really um, detailed and excellent lead source tracking. Um, so service monster tracks lead source on both the account and the order screen, which is very, very rare. I don't know if I've actually seen anyone do it. Um, the account screen is pretty obvious. The lead source is your acquisition. How did you acquire that client? Once it's set, it should never be changed. Please don't change it. If they come back to you, certainly don't change it to repeat. That's dumb. That will blow away your historical data in any system that you use. And we do a lot of imports for people who say repeat as a lead source because it just means they came back the second time. That doesn't tell you anything and it wrecks your data. Okay. So on the account screen, set the lead source and leave it forever. Don't touch it. The first work order that you do likely very quickly after you put in the account record, like immediately that order will have the same lead source as the account. That makes sense. Acquisition from the account resulted in work. That works. Lead source is attributable to that order. Okay. What about the next time around? If I say don't mark it as repeat and don't change it, how do you track your repeat business? Well, the right way to do it is leaving the account alone and setting the new lead source on the order screen. So maybe it was a newsletter that you did that caused them to come back. Maybe it was fill my schedule. Maybe you sent them a card within the last month or so or two months, and that prompted them to uh, hire you again. There's all kinds of reasons why your client comes back to you. Maybe you're really good at, um, in your geographic area, staying top of mind on your brand with your local community. And maybe your prospecting efforts actually brought repeat clients back. So you can track all of this very well, unlike most systems, using the order lead source. So you'd set your order lead source to whatever they came back to you at that time. Okay, now reporting. So you can get lead source acquisition reports, how many leads came in and where did they come in from? Awesome. You can also get revenue reports based off lead source. So obviously this is attacking then the lead source that's tied directly to the order. If the order is converted to an invoice, then that's a conversion. That's a converted order. So you can acquire a customer, come in, and then maybe they don't do the work. Um, or maybe um, you, know, you give them a freebie because they're a friend, or there's a whole series of reasons why they might not convert, which means you get cash. So when you get cash, the order is converted and you can see, okay, here's what's bringing in business. Here's what's bringing in dollars and here's what's bringing back clients. 
and you can see those independently on all your reports. So I hope I broke that up a little better, but that's why you want to track your lead source so you can determine what marketing efforts are working for you and which ones you need to shuffle money out of. You should do this every quarter. We run reports and look at what's bringing you in cash and look at cost per client. And when you have the cost per client, you want to dump money into cheap cost per clients with high conversions and high averages. Like that's the holy grail, right? It would be nice if you had one line item that was like, lots of clients come in and they're high paying clients and there's lots of conversions and they cost not a lot to do that that one line item. Well, guess what? I'm going to take a whole shitload of money out of my other stuff that's working half as well and dump it into this line item and see how much I can put in before those metrics then start failing. Right? Or if I get an influx of leads and clients and conversions that I can't reference, now we're back to the whole raise your prices. Right? You found a nice little system and raise your prices and then continue to shovel money into the marketing that's working. Yeah. And I think the really interesting thing that I found during the onboarding process is because so often users were just marking, you know, repeat business or so forth. They, they didn't even know how to phrase the question. They'd be like, well, what do you mean? Like, how can I tell, I mean, how can I tell that an FMS card was the reason that they called back and it's not like you have to go you know probe their life and you know hook up your security cameras and such it's really just you know hey you know appreciate you you know you call me back you know we're here to you know take care of you what was it that, 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 that gave you a call and a lot of times it'll just be oh yeah i, got, I saw your email and it prompted me or, oh i got this card yeah it's just on my, on my, my table or you, your technician will literally see the card on their table they, have, they haven't you know you know thrown it out or or so forth so yeah. The way that I phrase that is, oh, hey, Adam, what prompted your call today? Right. And then let them tell me their story. Sometimes they'll misinterpret that and they'll be like, well, you know, my carpet's really dirty. And then you can follow it up with like, awesome. Well, um, what did, where'd you pull the number off of? Did you Google us or did you have that magnet handy or right? And, and then probe, just ask. They'll tell you. Ask and then set it and then save it. And then look at your reports and then take action. Because if you don't take action at the end of the day by looking at your data, then the whole point's moot and you might as well not ask anyway. Yep. And if you're having pr- trouble remembering to ask, there is a company setting that requires lead source. So if you or your technicians or you know your office staff, if someone is not necessarily snagging that information as often as, as they should, there is a way to make that required. So it becomes a pain in the ass because now you have to ask the question, you have to set it. And if you have to set it and somebody's shy about asking the question, or if they're going to give you bullshit information, then it's going to look weird. Uh, so you want to be careful with that requirement. Although I think it's good if you can get the whole team dialed in and using it correctly. Yeah, I think oftentimes I've seen it used as kind of a training thing. Well, they'll use it for the first few months. Make sure that they they remember to ask when they're going through their script, and then they can kind of you know play it more as a standard scenario. So I mean that's nice, but it's a, not a user setting, right? It's a global setting. So while your trainee is learning how to set lead source, everybody else has got to set it too. <laughs> well, they the, the, the right world, they all should be doing it anyways, right? So yeah, totally. All right, all right, sir, Michael. Anything else that you had for today? Nope, that's all I got. Adam? That's all I got for you, Joe. Very good. Thank you guys so much for your attention. We hope we brought you some value today. 
go check out Service Monster if you haven't done so already and uh, take a look at some of the content we're producing on these platforms for you because we're trying to drive as much value to you as we can for free. Participate, like, subscribe, comment, all that fun stuff. And until next time, see you guys on the flip side.